In the name of Jesus, amen. So, continuing from last week, a little checkup here. Have you been owner or steward, banker or Red Cross reliever? So, pictures worth a thousand words thing going on there. Also from last week, still during Lent, in today's lesson still, Jesus turning things right side up. So begin with the the text. But he, being Jesus, said also to some who have been and remained dishonest about depending on themselves, that they are righteous and despise the rest, this parable. Two people went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing to himself, these things he continually prayed. God, I continually thank you, because not am I as the rest of the people, snatchers, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this one, the tax collector. I continually fast twice a week. I continually tithe everything I continually get. But the tax collector, at a distance standing, was continually never wanting ever to lift the eyes to heaven, but continually beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I say to you, this one went down, having been and remaining righteousized to his house, in contrast to that one, because everyone continually lifting up himself will be humbled that the one continually humbling himself will be lifted up. So this morning, that text uh, brings us to the problem of infinite regression. Lord, I thank you that I am not like the Pharisee in the parable. Lord, I thank you that I am not like the professor leading chapel. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the person in the row in front of me who thanks you for not being like the professor. And on and on it goes. How to solve the problem of infinite regression? Well, you have to expose the source of the problem. In our case, a crass, materialistic anthropology. We know, and the Bible and nature remind us, that our body is corrupt. God says, I stink. But I stink a lot less than you. Or, I really, really, really stink. So, With whom do we identify ourselves? Has God left us in the mire of me versus you and us versus them? This tends to be, in my experience, the way Christianity functions. People place themselves somewhere on the continuum. Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. We think that we we can't be saved, that God doesn't love us, that we're unworthy, uh, that we're just way too stinky, To be saved, other times we're too hard on others. So we think way too much of ourselves as if now our life is on a godly meter and then think of what kinds of problems that presents to us. Where exactly is the cutoff? Does God grade on a curve? If I'm at 51%, do I go to heaven? 49% go to hell? What about 50%? So, what's the solution, as always, has to do with honesty. It's the only real remedy. So, like creation, would it surprise us if we began to remember that we're three-dimensional, not one-dimensional, not even two-dimensional? 
two dimensions for this morning. Sorry for the technicality of the image, but we'll try and make use of it. So, two dimensions to begin with. We have a corrupted human nature, but given the influence of the Word of God and that activity in our lives, our baptism is confirmation of that. We have a soul regenerated. So the Bible speaks absolutely to each of these natures. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Every intent of the thought of my heart is only evil continually. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit, neither can he because they're spiritually discerned. That human nature on the left is like a dinosaur. The the longer it grows, the more it matures, the worse, more cantankerous, more contemptible, more hard to be around, which is why death is the solution to that nature. The other side of the equation, though, is also absolute, and the Bible speaks about it absolutely. Whoever is generated of God cannot sin, neither can he. Because he's been generated of God. Never sins, never does wrong, always right. So what you see in any given individual is the contest between those two. And the solution to becoming a more mature Christian is not to try harder. What you see in a person is going to be a function of which nature we feed more, if you will. World or word. The more time with the world, the more time... feeding that nature on the left, the more you're going to see that nature dominate the person. If we want the other side to be dominant, then that's a diet of word. And the word regenerates and fills and animates and empowers that soul, and you see that in a person. Back to the parable. The comparison is constant in Luke et al., all of the other authors in the Bible too. Notice these two natures evident in the biblical literature and history. So examples of my body corrupt, Cain. Examples of my soul regenerated, Abel. Proud, humble. Arrogant, meek. Ishmael, who mocked his younger brother, Isaac. Not that either of these or any of these individuals are completely one or the other. They're composed of corrupt nature and at times faith too. But the Bible gives them to us in history to sort of get the idea. Esau, who despised his birthright, Jacob. Many lepers in Israel not healed. Naaman, the Syrian general, healed. Jesus brings that up in Luke 4. Many widows in Israel, none of them helped the widow of Zarephath, whose oil and flour never wore out, Martha and Mary, two real individuals that are pretty much the same thing as the elder prodigal son and the younger prodigal son. Pharisees and scribes, if you listen to the text uh, earlier, chapter 15, they came grumbling for stumbling. They came to test Jesus. They wanted to find a way to get rid of him. Tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear. And that's really a heading for both groups of people. The 99 who need no repentance, which isn't true, it can't be true, but that's what they think about themselves. The lost sheep, the nine coins, the lost coin. The Tower of Babel, vineyard renters, those invited to the master's banquet, the wise, the strong, and so forth. In contrast with Matthew 8, who's healed? Well, everybody was healed, but we have three examples. A leper but at least it was a Jewish leper. A centurion servant, ah, Roman. Ah, centurion, ooh, worse than that, his servant. What could be worse than that? A mother-in-law. 
if Jesus heals the mother-in-law, then I too have hope. Acts 8 is parallel to Matthew. Three examples. Samaritans receiving the word of God eagerly. The Ethiopian eunuch. And who of all people? The Philistines at Azotus. So, back to the lesson for a moment and to notice this contrast again. The Pharisee standing to himself these things he... Now look at the language of continually. This is what he was all about. That that left side of the equation, that human nature. Notice the I, 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 I. Notice the lines, number of lines and the words of his prayer. I counted them up, 40 words. I five times, me never. The tax collector, seven word prayer. I never, me just once. Does it really take more than that? God be merciful to me, a sinner. And what's interesting is to notice this contrast too, where the Pharisee says, not am I as the rest of the people. Like what the rest of the people? Like the people who say, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And we know from other texts uh, in another parable of the talents, Jesus says to the wicked servant, I will condemn you out of your own mouth. So Jesus, the provider of substitutionary atonement in justice and in love, not am I as the rest of the people, absents himself from that justice and love. But Jesus, the great I am, he who knew no sin was made sin for everyone. He am, the great I am, he am merciful to sinners like me. I'm sorry, English faculty, but it's memorable, isn't it? So, Christ, the truth, always honest. Honesty is his yoke, I'll argue, referred to in Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy and light. Yeah, right. I saw Mel Gibson's movie. That yoke is not easy or light. So either Jesus became a deceiver, like the life of Brian depicted him, or we're misunderstanding what he means by yoke. And the only sense I can make of it is the yoke, is honesty, because it means two different things. Honesty about Christ, the Son of God, Son of Man, is that His yoke is to take our place under the burden of the law, and that's why it looks like it looks tomorrow night here in chapel and all this week. Honesty for us means quite the opposite. It means that exchange, like Barabbas, we're set free, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, uh, righteousized, as we hear in the lesson. We are absolutely dependent on him, and that's a good thing, because he is absolutely dependable. I didn't want you to be disappointed. That's why the heading. I did want you to notice um, there's a lot to do here in Greek. For some reason, the font changed at the bottom. But ophiles, debt or debtor. Um, Matthew 18.32, I mentioned that last week, the 10,000 talents. Um, Ophilates, Matthew 6 and 18, again, um, the Bible's awesome because it's a real thing, unlike um, uh, Willy Wonka's elevator or the Star Trek elevator. The Bible will take you anywhere, and it will take you everywhere once you start following words and meanings and concepts and topics, but uh, time disallows. So we're going to go right to the prayer, if you'd pray with me. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep thy law and observe it with my whole heart. 
Lead me in the path of thy commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to thy testimonies, and not to gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities, and give me life in thy ways. Confirm to thy servant thy promise, which is for those who fear thee. Turn away the reproach which I dread, for thy ordinances are good. Behold, I long for thy precepts, and thy righteousness give me life. Amen. <clears throat> 